Hi there, Coach Alex here from A-Team Fitness. Thanks for listening as I share incredible transformation stories directly from the source themselves, the individuals doing the work and seeing the results. We'll take a behind the curtain peek at the mental and physical changes that make for amazing transformations. I'm glad you're here. And after the episode, I hope you feel empowered to begin making some transformative changes of your own. Let's dive in. How we're feeling will influence how confident we feel or don't feel at being successful in the future. So it stands to reason that the more positive we feel, the more confidence we'll have and the more positive self-efficacy we'll have to actually achieve better outcomes, to achieve more of our goals in the future. And so the reality, of course, is life can be very, very challenging. It can be very hard, rife with a lot of uncontrollable, unexpected circumstances, many of which, through a lot of reasons we'll see here in a moment, can lead us to being in sort of this default negative state where we're seeing the worst in people, events, situations, etc. And the challenge with that, of course, is if we have that default negative mindset, we'll then feel more negative emotional states, which will then eat away at our levels of self-efficacy over time. And here's what gets really, really tricky because if the other components of self-efficacy are great, just having the negative emotional states more often can deteriorate the benefit of all of the other pieces of that. And so the more negative we feel, we risk really eating away at our confidence in the long run which then goes into the self-fulfilling prophecy of the more negative we feel, we have more negative experience, we have more negative outlooks, we then get more negative outcomes, which then reinforces those negative outlooks, and the cycle repeats unending forever, unless we can pull ourselves out of it. So what we're talking about today, I'm gonna be introducing to you the negative thinking checklist, which is a series of questions and exercise that we can do when we're feeling ourselves starting to have negative thoughts or a negative emotional experience to really challenge what's happening and why we're feeling that way to ideally pull ourselves out of that moment to at the very least to not feel negative, to be in a neutral state. Before we dive into specifically the exercise of uh, the negative thinking itself, we have to come up with a few definitions that we're gonna be working with. And the first is, what exactly is a thought? We're talking about negative thinking, so by proxy, we're talking about negative thoughts, but what exactly is a thought? This is very, very important. And for our purposes, we're gonna define a thought as our interpretation of a singular event that has happened. It could be something that has immediate, it just happened to us. It could be a thought of the past of a particular situation or set of circumstances. But it's very important to note the use of the word interpretation here. And that's gonna come into greater play later on as we're talking about some other concepts. But suffice it for now to say that we're gonna define a thought as an interpretation of a singular event. Now it could be positive or negative or neutral. It doesn't have to be negative. We're just gonna be in this, in the context of today's conversation, really discussing it in the context of a negative thought. A belief, slightly different than a thought, a belief is the conclusion that we draw about either ourselves or the world based on thoughts that we're having, okay? So if the thought is an interpretation of what has just happened, then the belief is the conclusion that we draw, okay? So here's an example in, with regards to weight loss. Say I set a weight loss goal for this week, I'm gonna lose two pounds. 
And at the end of the week, I step on the scale and maybe I've only lost half a pound. My thought, my interpretation of that event, if it's going to be negative, could be, I can't believe I didn't lose that weight. I didn't do what I, what I needed to do. I wasn't good at sticking to my plan this week. And from that, my belief might be I'm no good at weight loss or weight loss is impossible for me. Okay, so the thought was just the interpretation of that singular event. I'm feeling upset that I didn't meet my goal this week. And then the belief, the conclusion that we draw from that singular thought is that it's impossible for me to lose weight or I suck at weight loss or any conclusion therein that we draw. Okay, so belief is a conclusion we hold about ourselves or about the world at large based on our thoughts. So it stands to reason if the beliefs are the conclusions we draw from our thoughts, the more negative thoughts we have, the more negative beliefs we hold. Conversely, the more positive thoughts we have, the more positive beliefs we hold. So this is all very important for recognizing how it plays in the long term with the outcomes that we experience and the thoughts that we have. The last definition we need to go over is a mindset. What is a mindset? And a mindset is each one of these we're kind of jumping into a more generalized view, a more umbrella term for all of the things below. And so a mindset is a pattern of thoughts and beliefs that influence our perception about ourselves and the world. So this is kind of our, uh, how we draw our identity and, and not just the conclusions that we make about ourselves in the world, but patterns of conclusions. Okay, this is the sequences of conclusions and thoughts that we have. So a thought is an interpretation of a singular event. A belief is a conclusion we draw from that thought. And a mindset is the pattern of beliefs that we hold based on the past experiences that we've had. So the reason we talk so much about mindset is because it really is a lens through which we view everything. And it's a lens that's informed through time. Again, our thoughts lead to our beliefs and our beliefs lead to our mindsets. It creates those patterns. And if we have negative patterns of thinking, then the lens through which we view the world becomes negative. And now everything that we experience in our life, we experience more negatively. Even if it's not negative or if it's neutral, we take it as being negative. But if we can shift this, if we can start to create more positive patterns of thought and belief, then we can begin to take off that pair of negative mindset shades and put on our pair of positive ones. And now everything that we experience is going to be viewed through this lens of positivity, which will not, again, it will not make your life all sunshine and rainbows, but it will put more sunshine and rainbows in your life. And we all want a little more positivity. So that is what we're working on gearing towards. This is setting the stage. We are now going to shift into if we're having negative thoughts, how do we challenge those? How do we shift gears so that we start having more positive patterns of thought to create a more positive mindset? Okay. Now, we established definitions for thoughts, beliefs, and mindsets. But now we have to ask ourselves, what exactly is negative thinking? When we talk about that, what do we actually mean? And it's likely that all of us have an intuitive sense of what this means. And if I ask you to brainstorm for yourself to answer this question, we all come up with probably a similar answer, which is it's some sort of thought that leads to an uncomfortable reaction. This could be an uncomfortable emotional reaction, an uncomfortable mental reaction or even sometimes a physical reaction but that is it's a thought that's perceived negatively but here's something important we have to go even more fundamental than that which is what are 
thoughts to begin with. We already talked about it's an interpretation of a singular event, but even more basic than that, everything we experience in the world comes to us as raw data. Sights, sounds, smells, textures, all of this is just data, it's information. It's information that has no meaning. And it has no meaning until our brain gives it meaning. And the way that our brains interpret the data of our world is we create stories about what's happening. And so we create these narratives to make sense of that raw data. I just touched this, this metal object in my kitchen and it was very hot and it caused me pain. What does that mean? And our brain will interpret that as being, well, that stove is hot and that caused pain, so that's bad. Don't touch a stove that's turned on. That's the narrative that we write in our minds, okay? So our, our negative thinking is creating those narratives. Now, again, those thoughts, our perceptions of those events are influenced by our background, our upbringing, and our personal life experience. Okay, so the things that we have done in the past, the experiences that we've had will influence, again, because everything is leads to a thought, which then leads to a belief, which then patterns to become our mindset. And so everything we perceive now, whether negative, positive, or neutral, is usually done through whatever mindset lens we're currently wearing. Okay? But here's the thing, because our thoughts are just our interpretations or the stories that we're writing about what's happening, it means that those narratives can be changed, okay? So if we're gonna help you to build more emotional awareness, we do so by helping you understand that you can change these stories that are happening in your head. The emotions that you experience happen as a consequence of the story that you write. And the stories you write are determined by the stimulus you experience. But those stories are not always an accurate reflection of your reality because it's influenced by your past. So because all of this is interpretation and stories, we can rewrite them to be more positive. And the actual technique for doing this is what we're ultimately gonna cover today is helping you to, with the negative thinking checklist, to begin challenging the negative stories you're writing, to begin shifting them to be either neutral or more positive, to break the patterns of thinking that you're currently settling into, okay? So it's important to understand. Now to drive this point home of just how easily we can change the stories in our head, I wanna give you an example to think about, okay? So imagine this scenario, your boss gives you a bit of critical feedback during a performance review, okay? Things you need to improve, things you need to work on, things you're not up to satisfaction performing this is the critical feedback that you're giving. Now I want everyone to just take a moment and consider themselves in this situation. Imagine you're in this moment, your boss has just given you critical feedback. How would you feel in that moment that you received that critical feedback? Just think for a moment about that. Because then I wanna ask you two follow-up questions. If your boss gives you critical feedback and this particular boss happens to be a boss that you hate, this is an individual that you dislike greatly. 
Now, what emotions are you feeling once you receive that critical feedback from that individual? Chances are it's probably pretty bad. It's probably pretty negative. You're probably blaming them or you think it's unfair or maybe you think the feedback is not accurate because this person doesn't know what they're talking about or they're out to get you or any number of possible examples you could draw from this experience. Now, all of those emotions that you felt in considering a boss that you hate giving you a bit of critical feedback, how would those emotions change or how would the stories change, your interpretation of this event? How would it change if it were a boss that you admired, if it was someone you greatly respected and you had a great rapport with? Would the way you felt getting that same critical feedback change? And the answer for most of us or all of us is undoubtedly yes, it would be different in these two scenarios. A boss you hate giving you critical feedback and a boss you admire. And so then if that's true, we have to ask ourselves. In both cases, it's the exact same situation. It's critical feedback you're receiving about your performance. The only thing different is your view of the person giving you the feedback. And if that can change the entire narrative that you write about this situation, this just drives home the point that these stories that we write are actually more malleable than we think. And we actually can quite easily change the stories we're writing based on just a couple of simple details to create a drastically different experience. Okay. It's pretty neat when you start thinking about it, but this, is why we can change these stories, okay? Now, when we're talking about negative thinking, there are certain patterns of negative thinking, and I just wanna give you guys some examples of some of those patterns. We tend to call these cognitive distortions. These are well-researched, well-identified patterns of negative thinking that a lot of people will fall into the trap of that get them into these patterns of negative thinking, into these negative mindsets. And so we're just gonna cover, the, cover a couple for example purposes just so you kind of have an idea of what some of these are. And for many of us, if we've had some negative thoughts in the past, we will likely have fallen into probably one of these four categories because I picked four of the most popular. So the first, emotional reasoning. This cognitive distortion is basically when we attribute a truth because of the emotion we're experiencing. That sounded ambiguous. So. Because of an emotional reaction we're having, we take the emotion that we're experiencing as evidence that the way we feel is accurate. Okay, so here's an example. Say you are having a bad day and say you get to the grocery store and the cashier at the checkout counter makes a comment to you that you perceive as being very snarky. Okay. Now let's say the reality of the situation is they were not intentionally trying to be snarky. They simply maybe didn't put a little extra enthusiasm into what they were saying. Maybe there wasn't a lot of emotional investment into the question they were asking you. And in all other circumstances, you probably would have taken that as a neutral question without any exorbitant amount of emotion. But because you were having a bad day, you took it as being a little bit more negative than it otherwise would have been. And now because you perceive that cashier's question as being snarky you are starting to feel angry okay you feel angry at the perceived rudeness of this cashier and so emotional reasoning is basically the the phenomenon where because you feel angry you use that anger as 
evidence that that person was trying to be snarky to you without any other evidence uh, or proof that that's true. Okay, so we kind of jump to our emotions as being the evidence that something is true, which in that example, that person was not trying to be snarky. It was just perceived that way. Okay, so that's emotional reason, using our emotions as evidence that something is factual. The second one is something called labeling. And this is when you take someone's behavior and you generalize a character trait about them because of the way they behaved. Okay, so an example of this is say that same cashier makes what you perceive to be a snarky comment. And now, maybe instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt, saying, well, maybe they're having a bad day too, or maybe it was a harmless question that they asked me and they weren't trying to be snarky, or whatever the case is, instead, you, you come up with a story in your mind that this cashier just made a snarky comment to me. They just must be an angry individual, or they must really dislike me. So now what we're doing is we are drawing a larger, more permanent label about this person because of something they did. Okay. Now, to be clear, this isn't technically incorrect. We do draw conclusions about the way people are from their actions, from their behaviors, but usually from patterns of behavior. If someone does something one time, especially someone we've never met before, it can be easier to label them a certain way because that's the only impression we have and the only interaction we've had with them. But typically, the only way for this to be accurate is if we notice a pattern of behavior. But doing it from a one-off exchange, in this case, would be labeling a bit of their personality and their character because of one singular behavior, which can often be wrong, okay? Because we don't have any of the other context of that person's life. The third one is something called mind reading. This is when we think we understand what other people are thinking about us, or we make assumptions about what other people are thinking of us, okay? Same cashier situation. They make a, a neutral comment that we perceive as snarky because we're having a bad day. Now, if we're mind reading in this situation, what we would do is we would create a narrative about what they're thinking about us, okay? So I'm having a bad day, cashier makes a snarky comment, I'm starting to feel angry, and now in my mind, the story I'm writing is, this person just wants to make my life miserable today. They want to be inconvenient for me today, right? Or they want me to have a bad day. They want to try to hurt me in this scenario. So when we're mind reading, we are assuming other people's intentions. We're, th we're essentially trying to read other people's minds, which we all know is not actually possible. And so often what it leads to is drawing inaccurate conclusions about somebody's intentions, which can then lead to us acting a certain way that makes the situation worse. And then lastly, catastrophizing. This one's pretty uh, prominent in a lot of people. Catastrophizing is when something goes wrong, we draw the worst case scenario from that experience. Okay, so in this case, catastrophizing might be, this person just made a snarky comment. Now I'm running late. Now I'm gonna miss picking up my kid from their soccer practice. Now my kid's gonna be abducted because no one's there to pick them up and they're sitting in the parking lot alone after dusk. And now the whole world's gonna end, right? So catastrophizing is taking one small inconvenience, one small negative experience, and from that drawing this wildly conclusion, this more, negative, like worst case scenario conclusion because of that one experience, right? We basically take the one bad, we project something greater 
as being the result of that. So again, each one of these is, and there's a long list if you want, if you're interested to know about more cognitive distortions, you can just Google search cognitive distortions or cognitive biases, and you'll get a whole list of them. I know there's over 30 different ones identified that people will do. And the reality of these negative thinking biases is that we can use a variety of them at any given time, right? It's not like we're constantly just labeling people and we just are labeling ourselves, although that is often true. And that's the only cognitive distortion we have. It's usually a combination of a bunch and they change over time based on the situation, okay? But these are just four common ones. So it stands to reason these can really make a big impact on how we're feeling on a daily basis, which can have a drastic impact on how motivated and confident we feel to actually reach our goals. And so everything that follows now is how do we combat these distortions to ground ourselves, to center ourselves when we're having a negative emotional experience, okay? And so the way we're gonna do that, the way we're gonna challenge and change our negative thoughts is a process called Socratic questioning or Socratic questions. So many of us might be familiar, at least vaguely, with Socrates. Socrates, which Socratic questions is named after, was a very famous Greek philosopher who was very well known for questioning everything, which I'm sure made him very annoying to be around because he never took what other people told him as absolute truth. He would always ask the question, why? Why do you believe that? Why is the earth flat? Why is our government set up this way? Why are you eating only those foods? Why do we do things this way? Why this, why that? Everything was questioning things. While annoying, the benefit of this is it allowed him to catch the inaccuracies or the, the kind of silly things people would do because they were just doing it habitually or because someone told them to. He questioned a lot of common knowledge at the time because no one thought to ask why something was true or whether something was true. They just took it immediately as fact. And so the process of Socratic questioning is a, in the same vein of that, it's a series of questions that we can ask of a situation to really figure out what's real, what's made up in our head from the story that we've written, and once we know what's real and what's not, how can we reshape the story that we've written to have a better experience or to portray a different reality that might be equally as true, okay? And this technique, Socratic questioning, is a popular resource used in something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy, very quickly for those of us unfamiliar with it, is a type of therapeutic approach for people dealing with mental disorders, depression, anxiety, anything under the sun, anything where we're having these sort of neg ongoing negative thoughts to help them shift their thinking process, right? Now, cognitive behavioral therapy basically takes the approach more generally that our Negative thinking and our negative behaviors result from the cognitions that we have, from the thoughts and our mindsets that we hold. And so it might not surprise you that a lot of the coaching methodologies that we use here in this program are geared kind of with this cognitive behavioral therapy in the background. It's kind of working in the shadows, okay? Now, also to be completely clear, these Socratic questions, while it is a great resource, a great tool used in formal therapy, this is not a replacement for therapy, okay? So therapy does have its purpose, does serve a very important role for people who struggle with 
clinical disorders that negatively impact their well-being and their life. And so this is not a replacement for that, but it is a tool that you can use, you can take from their toolkit and apply it to your own life to start challenging some of your daily negative thoughts. Okay? And like I said, it's five questions that we're going to go through. Now, as we go through these questions, one thing that I'm going to ask everyone to do to really drive these questions home is I would encourage everyone to think about a recent negative thought that they had. It can be a negative thought about yourself, about your fitness plan, about your job, about your personal life, something your kid said, something your spouse said, whatever it is. Think of a recent negative thought that you had, a story that you wrote about a situation. And then as we go through all five questions and as I'm explaining them, I want you to go through the exercise of asking yourself or applying these questions to that negative situation that you recently experienced. Okay. Now, this is something too that this week's worksheet will also cover. So you'll get more practice doing that. But for now, recent negative situation, apply the questions as we go through. Okay. Ready? Let's dive on in. The first question. What is the evidence that the thought I had is true? What is the evidence that the thought I had is true? Ask this for your personal negative experience. For continuity, I'm gonna pull back the snarky cashier from earlier example, and we're gonna apply it to that situation. So, to refresh our memories, I'm having a bad day. I had to stop at the store on the way home. I'm checking out with the cashier. The cashier makes an otherwise emotionally neutral comment, which because of my day, I perceive as being snarky, and now it's sent me down this wormhole of anger and frustration and not liking this person or having this bad experience, okay? So now the first thing I'm gonna do is in that moment, I'm gonna stop. And I recognize that I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I'm not happy with the cashier who I think is being mean and rude. And I'm gonna ask myself, what is the evidence I have that my thought that this person is setting out to do me harm, what evidence do I have that that's true? And now I'm gonna evaluate the situation, which is I've never met this person before they have no history with me and no reason to be angry with me or rude to me. It's a recognition that I'm having a bad day and is there a chance that that might be clouding how I'm feeling in this moment because my emotions were already revved up and is that contributing to making the situation worse? Um, is this person an, just an otherwise rude individual is that just their character? Do I have any evidence to support that they're just a rude person? Is there anyone else in my environment that's also unhappy with this cashier? Right? Are they being rude to other people or are they just being rude to me? These are the types of questions we can ask to start to evaluate, okay, I'm believing this about this situation. What actual evidence do I have that that's true? And when we just ask ourselves this question, what we're really doing is we're calling out the subjectivity of the narrative that we've written. We're forcing ourselves to start to consider whether what we believe is factual or if it really is just a story that we've written. And so that's the benefit of asking ourselves this question is now we're starting to evaluate what's real and what's in our head. So very, very important first step. So that's question one. What is the evidence that this thought is true? The second question, if I'm wrong, what is another way of looking at the situation? Okay. So 
I had a bad day. Cashier makes a snarky comment. Now my thought is this is just a rude person who said something rude to me. Now I've evaluated what evidence that I have, calling out the subjectivity of my story. And now I'm asking if I'm wrong about what I believe, if I'm wrong that this person's not actually a rude person and they're not trying to be mean to me, what's a different way that I can look at this situation? And now it starts to call, it starts to force us to think about alternative stories that we could be writing. Okay, so what are some alternative situations? And apply this to the negative situation that you're thinking of at home too. For the cashier, well, I know I'm already having a bad day. So maybe that's clouding the way that I'm feeling in the situation. Maybe I was already prone to being on edge in the situation. Maybe the cashier's having a bad day. Maybe they did say something rude, but maybe they're also having a bad day and they didn't actually mean to say anything rude. That's another potential situation. Um, maybe, maybe they just didn't realize that what they said was rude. Maybe what they said was actually rude, but maybe they didn't understand that their tone came off that way because they didn't put the correct emotion into what they were saying. So maybe it was perceived as being rude, even though that was not their intention. So now we start to consider these alternative stories and it gets us out of that box of this is the reality that I'm experiencing that's making me angry and it starts to question, well, what else could be happening here? The other interesting thing about these questions in general is when we're feeling an emotion, by definition, the actual physiological experience of emotions doesn't last very long, only about a minute or so, 60 seconds, give or take, will we actually experience an emotion. The reason we can go on for minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour feeling a particular emotion, positive or negative, is because we continue to write stories or we continue to have thoughts that reinforce having the emotion again, okay? So in this case, cashier makes a rude comment that I perceive as rude, I perceive them as rude, I'm already having a bad day, I'm now angry. Now, start the timer, 60 seconds, I'm angry. But now I think to myself, I can't believe this person said that to me. The audacity of this person to make that comment to me, boom, reset the clock, now we're angry again. And then I have another thought, boom, reset the clock, now I'm angry again. And so when we're having these drawn out emotional experiences, that's what's really happening, is it's not the emotion that we're feeling unending, it's that we continue to have thoughts that restart the timer. And so the good thing about these questions, not only are we calling out the subjectivity with the first question and now considering alternative stories with the second, but we're also giving ourselves time. We're giving ourselves time to let the negative emotions pass, to create what I call emotional distance so that we have clearer thinking. So that's very important to recognize about these two. The third question, we've already considered alternative stories if we're wrong. The third question is, if you're right about the story that you wrote, what can you then do about that situation? What can you do about the situation if the story that you came up with first is the correct reflection of reality? Okay, cashier makes a snarky comment. I'm having a bad day. Now I'm angry. Now I think they're rude because they're being rude to me. I've looked for the evidence. And there's some evidence that, that what I'm thinking is true. I've considered all the ways I could be wrong. That's helped me create a little bit of emotional distance. But now, if I'm right, if that cashier was actually being rude to me, 
What can I do about that particular situation? Well, what are some potential solutions? I can inform them that they're being rude, but that could potentially make the situation worse. I could ignore them or ignore the comment and recognize that I've never met this person. I will probably never see them again after this. And so I can just let it pass and not affect me. That's another option. I could, um, I could share the way that I felt and I could say something mean back, right? I could say something rude back to them to get even. Not the best solution, but a solution nevertheless. And so what we're doing when we ask this third question, if you're right, what can you do about the situation? Is now we're really shifting your perspective away from thinking about the problem, which a negative thought is really just thinking about a problem we're having. We're shifting away from a problem-focused orientation, and now we're sh shifting to a solution-focused frame, perspective, okay? Now we're trying to figure out, okay, if this negative situation is actually happening, and it is a reflection of reality in this moment, now what can I do to resolve the situation so that I feel better, okay? One of the reasons we feel so negative all the time is we feel like there's constant problems we're experiencing or negative experiences we're having, but we never can do anything to solve for it. We feel helpless, we feel hopeless, we feel like our hands are tied and we have no control. So shifting to being more solution-oriented, what can we actually do to resolve this negative experience can go worlds ahead to make us feel better about what's happening. Because now we feel a sense of autonomy and we feel more in control. Mm -hmm. And all of that is very, very important. Okay, so the third question, if you're right, what can you do is shifting you out of a problem focus and into a solution focus. Our fourth question, what advice would you give to a friend in the exact same situation? Now, this is where we really start to create that emotional distance because, and here's the important thing to factor in, we have two sides to our brain. We have the rational side, which can evaluate information, can weigh pros and cons, can make good decisions. And then we have an emotional brain, which is impulsive, it's reactionary, and we tend to make less good choices. When we're having a negative experience and we're having a negative emotional reaction, we tend to default to our emotional brain. We act more impulsively. And that seldom actually improves the situation. Often it just makes it worse. So when we create emotional distance, when we give ourselves time to let the negative emotions go without refreshing the timer, we then start to shift from our emotional brain towards our rational brain. And so by asking this question, what advice would you give to a friend in the same situation? It allows us to evaluate the same situation absent any of the emotion. Because here's the truth. We've all had the experience of giving a friend advice. And what happens when we're asked to give a friend advice? We give great advice. We can all give really good advice to other people. But when it comes to taking that advice, when it's us in the situation, we're probably all pretty bad at it. And the reason we're bad at taking our own advice is because when we're giving the advice to a friend, there's no emotion. We're full rational brain. When we have to take the advice ourselves, when we're in the thick of it, we're operating from an emotional brain. And so the emotional brain clouds the rational brain and we don't make the same good choices. 
But it doesn't mean if we're in the experience that we can't momentarily remove ourselves to create that distance, to get rid of that emotion so that we act in a more rational way. And this is how we do it. How, what advice would we give to a friend in the exact same situation? Now this works the best when you're asking this question. So as you ask this of yourself for the most recent negative experience that you had, I encourage you when you think of the friend, think of someone very specific. Think of them by name, think of their face, think of someone who actually exists in your life who you would give this advice to because the more real you can make it, the more e or the easier it's gonna be to get you out of the emotional brain, okay? What advice would you give to a friend in the exact same situation? And then our last question is, given everything that you've come up with so far, the evidence you evaluated that your narrative is true, the alternative, realities that you've come up with based on the lack of evidence or evidence thereof, the solutions you've come up with, if you happen to be right, what solutions you've been able to drum up for resolving the situation, the advice that you would give to a friend that's in the exact same situation, creating that emotional distance. Now, when you ask the last question, what should you do now? What you're doing is you're pushing yourself into a bias for action. And this relates to question three, which is question three, we wanted to shift you to consider more solutions. Now in question five, we're pushing you to actually do something differently. Okay? So cashier snarky, they make a comment. I'm in a bad mood, I perceive them as being rude. Now we're in a, a bit of a pickle, right? I've evaluated the evidence, I've considered alternative realities, I've considered what solutions I could do if I'm correct, I've asked what a what advice I would give to a friend in the same situation. And so the action, the solution I've come up with is even if I'm right and they're being rude, even if I'm wrong and they're not being rude, I perceive what they said to me as being rude. It put me in an angry, frustrated state. My best solution, whether I'm right or wrong, is to just simply remove myself from that situation as quickly as possible. The advice I would give to a friend is to keep calm, not acknowledge the comment, try to just finish the transaction as smoothly and quickly as possible and then remove myself from that environment. And so the action I'm going to take is just that. I'm not gonna acknowledge that comment, I'm just gonna finish my transaction as quickly as I can, gather my belongings and exit the environment as fast as possible. And in so doing then I remove myself from the negative experience and I allow myself that reset. As long as I'm not having the negative thought to reset my emotional timer, I can let it fizzle out and go about my day. So each one of these five questions serves a very specific purpose to challenging, evaluating, and shifting the negative thoughts that we're having so that you can stop that negative emotional experience in its tracks, you can rewrite the story that's happening in your head, you can come up with some new solutions, and then you push yourself to actually take action so that you feel like you have more autonomy, more control, and ultimately have better outcomes. So you have more positive experiences, which then lead to more positive thoughts, which lead to more positive beliefs, which lead to better, more positive patterns of thinking, which then lead to a positive mindset set of shades that are real bedazzled and cool and allow you to go through life feeling happier, healthier, and with overall better well-being. Thanks for tuning in. If you feel inspired by this story, please share it with a friend. If you'd like to book a free discovery call to talk with an A-Team coach, head to the episode description or visit us at ateamfit.com. That's A-T-E-A-M-F 
www.ipromotionsit.com. We'll see you again soon.